The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. Welcome to another episode of The Bright Side. This week, there were actually a lot of bright spots for me, one of which I think a lot of people could relate to because I feel like everyone is talking about it, and it's the show Bridgerton. I love a period drama, and this one visually is just so beautiful and fun. Yeah, it's a little cheesy, but I don't know. I'm loving it. So that's been a bright spot for me discovering that show. Another one has been that I agreed to take on another foster dog. And I've felt like I haven't really had the time that I should have to dedicate to having a foster lately. But because my TV show has been delayed a little bit in production, I'm able to take a foster in for a little bit. So I'm super, super excited. It's just funny when I see a foster dog come up on the website, the uh, Love at First Mott website, and there's something about a specific one that I just can't say no to. And that's what happened here. I found this little dog who was in Mexico. And when he was found, he was covered in blood and no one knows where the blood came from because he apparently doesn't actually have any wounds, which is good. But he's super cute. He was this long-haired poodle and they shaved him down and he looks kind of funny right now. But I can't wait to just kind of nurse him back to being really healthy and and give Dash a playmate for a couple of weeks. So that's really exciting. We need some names for him. So if anyone has suggestions, please DM me because I would love to hear your thoughts. I was up last night thinking about what I'm going to call him. (laughs) And I haven't come up with anything yet. So if anybody has any thoughts, please let me know. And this week's guest is Shelly Sanders, who founded the jewelry line, The Last Line. And I've been a fan of the brand for a long time. I've met Shelly in passing a couple of times, but it was great to get to chat with her more in depth. And we actually shared some of our favorite current TV show recommendations, which um, I've never really talked about on here before. So I think it'll be fun for you guys to hear some of those. And then she's got a whole bunch of interesting insight into business and jewelry. And like, I learned a lot from her this week. So I hope you'll enjoy the episode. And here it is. Welcome to today's episode of the Bright Side Podcast. My guest today is jewelry designer and co-founder of The Last Line, Shelly Sanders. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to have you. I've been a fan of The Last Line for years, and you've been gracious enough to host me at a couple of events. And one of the things I love so much about your line is that I feel like, and I think you describe the line this way as a mix of high and low, because it's a, it's a really fun, playful jewelry line, but it's so beautifully done and it's fine jewelry still. And I think that's kind of a unique space to be in. But do you want to tell us a little bit more about the line where, how it started and a little bit about yourself? Yeah. So I was a jewelry designer for many years before starting The Last Line, and I'm not a very good private person in a relationship. So my husband, who's the co-founder with me, went through all of the ups and downs and frustrations of jewelry design and working in the industry. And so after many years of sort of wanting to start something of our own, but not really figuring out where would be the right place, since I saw, I kind of saw you know, I saw the good, the bad, and the ugly parts of jewelry design. And so I was really aware of what could work, but also at the same time, really aware of what didn't work. And I don't want to, not to interrupt you, because I know I want to hear this whole story. But first of all, I'm wondering where you and your husband met. He was working in jewelry as well. No. 
So my husband and I went to elementary school together and we were friends then, uh, but then we lost touch for a long time. And then we started dating again in our twenties and he was not in jewelry. He, he was an artist and a photographer, but not a jewelry designer. And so that's how you guys came together. And then what were some of the low, the challenging parts of jewelry designer? What were you seeing that was kind of dark? So if I had it probably my way from when I first learned how to make jewelry, when I was 20, I would have started a fine jewelry line of my own with the designs, whatever I thought was great at the time. And I would have taken it. And my goal would have been to have it probably at a store like Barney's or, you know, a high-end retailer at the time. Luckily, I was saved from doing that because I needed a job and someone that I knew from high school's family owned a jewelry company. And he was like, we're looking for a designer if you want to work for us. So I ended up working for that company and it was a licensing company. So I ended up learning the product development side of jewelry design and how to work with factories, how to work with different companies, how to design jewelry on a wide variety of budgets, design styles and piece types. And I learned the negative side, or at least the negative side that I thought of retail. I saw some really spectacular jewelry brands not work out at a retail level because of a consignment model. Like a lot of the retailers at the time were placing large orders, but they weren't really orders. They were consignment orders. Mm-hmm. And so the retailers would require a certain amount of product to be delivered without committing to purchase it. Okay. And I saw some really talented businesses not work out. Right. Because how are you supposed to front the money for all of that? And then right. have to... and when it's returned right. and then you're sitting on all the product, even the best, you know, designs, they've already been out there for a while. You know, it's really difficult to put them back into the market. So I saw these businesses close. And so that was a a lucky sort of saving grace for me at the time, because that probably could have happened to my own line. Because I think a lot of, you know, the struggle with retail was that it wasn't really necessarily for the designer, or at least that was my, you know, some people did great doing it, but my experience was that. So we always- I think that that can be the case across the board for anybody who's starting their own brand like that when you're trying to get into retail. It's like, uh, you have to have a certain amount to finance the a new company. And, you know, it's not so easy to sell right off the bat. Like you have to build a brand over time. Right. And it's challenging when people are placing the orders for you and directing what should be sold in the store. And it's not necessarily what you want to be, but you believe in the retailer and then. Yeah. Right. You're not, you don't have to input. It's all back. Yeah. So we started sort of compiling a list of the things that we thought were positive and, you know, white spaces where there were opportunities and there weren't currently people in the space. We also started compiling a list of things that we definitely didn't want to do. Mm-hmm. So um, we didn't want to go to retail. Then, you know, I designed jewelry for a lot of different types of brands for a long time in a lot of different price points. And so I think to what you were saying earlier, it was always really important for us to be able to have pieces that could be, you know, the first piece of jewelry that you're buying and then pieces that could be a gift for your 50th wedding anniversary and sort of everything in between and create a brand that can grow with the consumer. Mm. So some of the larger and, you know, very high-end brands touch on that sort of like a jewelry brand for life um, and really 
work on, you know, finding pieces for every generation, but they still lacked a style, right? They were high jewelry, fine jewelry, beautiful jewelry, right? but not necessarily unique, unique, exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and irreverent, fun, and colorful items. And so I would describe, sorry, not to interrupt yeah, you again, no, but I feel like every piece of jewelry that you're wearing right now, I don't know if it's all the last line, but at least if it is, I would describe every piece that you're wearing right now as classic, but unique, if that makes sense, right? Like you have your tennis necklace or your, like the ring that you're wearing, that's the three bands with the diamonds around. I mean, they'll be able to see when we, um, we can maybe post this clip just so that everyone knows what I'm talking about, but all the jewelry (laughs) that you're wearing, I would consider them kind of statement pieces, but they're not over the top. They're really, there's pieces you could wear every day, but they're unique. So that was the goal. So we wanted to create you know, I always looked at mall jewelry brands sort of with envy. And then also I could never figure out why these brands didn't have more finely designed pieces. Because there was no reason to me that they couldn't have well-priced fine jewelry, that they couldn't have classic fine jewelry updated, you know, with new life and, and twists that make it feel fresh. Right. It's sort of old fashioned. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so through all of those little discoveries and things that we saw as, you know, barriers to entry, we put together this sort of concept for the last line to be a direct to consumer fine jewelry brand that can be with you throughout your whole fine jewelry journey, whether you want to buy yourself a gift for a promotion, whether it's your wedding, you know, you're going to gift something for your daughter, you're going to pass something down. We wanted to be able to be there throughout all of those moments. And we wanted to create a brand that could feel like something a lot of different types of people could see themselves in, regardless of their style, spending power or place in their lives. Well, it's so interesting that listening to you to describe this because I feel like if that was your mission, that's exactly what you guys accomplished. So it's very cool because I mean, I, I'm, I've been familiar with the brand for a long time and I've always really loved it, but I never knew the backstory and to hear you explain it, I'm like, oh, this makes so much sense with everything I've ever seen you guys put out. Yeah. That, you know, I think that was, it was always important to us and it still is. And it's one of our big goals that we haven't yet put together, but the idea of this like multi-generational group of people in, you know, whether you're a lawyer, a teacher, a student, a daughter, a son, a child, wherever you are, there's a place for you if you want to find, you know, classic, fun, and new fine jewelry. Yeah. And then do you still design everything yourself for the line? Yes. Do you do all of your gifting packages that you guys send out? Because in terms of the just branding you do to promote the last line, you do such a good job. I actually was showing Alexa before we started the notebook that I use yeah. Yeah, for wait. my podcast. Do you have it right there? Oh my God, cute. <laughs> for listeners, I'm holding a, a journal that the last line sent with a pack of really cute. I mean, there was a whole bunch of really cute goodies in there. But one of the things was this journal, the last line that says that only the finest for the finest. And it's the journal that I use to write all of my interviews for my podcast because I absolutely love it. I mean, you're just really talented with design in general, clearly, but I love everything that you do. And it's always so creative. Even your events, 
I remember one time you did an event at a tenant. You, tell me about that one because I I remember for some reason I wasn't able to make it and I was so bummed because I was so excited to be invited. So we have a large tennis bracelet portion of the line. It was always a dream of mine to have delicate and thin wearable tennis bracelets in a rainbow of colors. And it's something that seems very simple, but it wasn't around. And so we started building into the tennis collection and we realized that a lot of people felt the same way. So then we started playing with the idea of why is it even called a tennis bracelet? And so we started to do events. Why is it called a tennis bracelet? It's Chris Everett. So at a championship match, she wore, they were called diamond line bracelets at the time. Makes sense. Um, Yeah. (laughs) And she always wore one. And during a match, it fell off on the court. And ever since then, tennis bracelet. Okay. I love that. I've always (laughs) wondered that. And I don't know why I never looked it up, but that's so good to know. So we started doing events for our tennis collection on the tennis court because we thought that was a cute and fun story. And so we hosted tennis lessons and little tennis matches at the tennis courts uh, here in Los Angeles. And we've done two of them so far. And I love the idea of being also, you know, one of the things that is interesting or I think fun about our jewelry is that you can wear it everywhere. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's delicate pieces. We layer them, but they're wearable. And so yeah. I love the idea of playing and doing your daily life in your jewelry and experiencing yeah. activities in your jewelry. Well, and I love when brands cross promote by, you know, like lifestyle, because I do yeah. feel like it it just helps people to understand kind of what the, the brand better overall. And I love that you guys did that because I also think you've done such a unique job. There's so many jewelry brands out there, not necessarily in the category that yours is, but I feel like you've done a really good job of standing out and in, in promoting the brand. But since you launched the last line, what would you say has been the lowest point that you guys have been at? And what did you do to get through it? There's been a lot of low moments and then there's been a lot of really great moments. And I want to think hard about this because, you know, I think one of the difficult things about being a a founder, and I've heard this from a lot of other founders in a lot of other different spaces, and I think it doesn't matter where you are, but when you're so deeply invested in something and it's your daily work, the ups and downs of the ride are so emotional. And somebody once said a perfect example of, you know, a founder of a business that's, you know, in its early stages in the morning, they're saying, I did it. I succeeded. My dream is here by the afternoon. They're like, I got to sell it. It's failing. (laughs) You know, by the late afternoon, they're like, why I'm not going to be able to sell it. It's ruined. And then by the evening, they're like, we got it. This is the best thing that's ever happened. You know, and I think that everything in between that, you know, overall is, really the experience. But our first year in the business, we, we when we launched the business, the one thing that we didn't have was experience of running a fine jewelry business. Mm-hmm. So we definitely made our fair share of missteps as far as not necessarily listening to ourselves. And I think for me, I'd always been told, you're a designer. You, you're not a businesswoman. You don't necessarily have the skills to run a business, but you know, you're very talented at, at jewelry and design, but you know, maybe somebody else should be driving the ship as far as, 
what you do from a business well, perspective. Well, I do feel like it's it's rare to have both because I mean, I know for example, I'm terrible at running. I would be horrible at running a business, but I love the creative and I love that, you know, ideas and I'm there are other parts of it I'm good at networking and that kind of thing, but but in terms of the day-to-day operations of a business, it's for me that would be very challenging. I think maybe you think that, like that's how I felt as well. Mm. And then when I got into the space, this particular space that I understand and know well, I couldn't run a business that had something to do with food delivery or software or anything like that. But what I've come to realize is that, well, I don't have specific business training and I didn't go to graduate school for business. I do understand very well this business Mm -hmm. and going with what I feel is right for this business and working with Teddy and us analyzing our and Teddy's, Teddy, Teddy's your husband, just to clarify for yeah. the listeners, right? Yeah. He's, Teddy's my husband and the CEO, and neither of us have specific business training and have been learning every step of the way throughout this experience how to run this business. But every good decision we've made has been one that was informed by our experience and our overall vision of where the company should be going. And early on to go back to one of my lowest points mm-hmm. <laughs> was early on in the business, I didn't trust that I would understand how to market and grow the business and get it to a place where it could be profitable and a good quote business. Which of course is what I just said, I feel like is one of your strongest things that you've done. Right. And so Teddy and I both made a couple of decisions that were very expensive that involved bringing in consultants or people to work with us. And they actually ended up taking us in such a, against our good intuition, it kind of took us off course and we had to correct and it was Mm. expensive. And there was definitely a moment in, we launched in 2017 in 2018, there were definitely some months where we were like, holy crap, are we going to be able to pay the bills? Yeah. Like we invested so much in some things that weren't worth it for us initially. And it luckily we were able to get back on track and we were able to overcome it. But there were some moments where we were looking at each other and wondering. I think that's a really good reminder though, too, for everyone is that you probably should have more faith in yourself to handle certain, like you don't always need to outsource things that you think you might not be good at. You should try to do it yourself. Cause I do think I've, I've had a little bit of that experience too with PR publicists over time Mm -hmm. because publicists are so expensive Yeah, and you go and spend all this money and may have very little to no return on it. And then for, in my case, for example, once I started kind of doing my own thing, I felt like it (laughs) was so much better. Yeah. And I just really didn't need that. I mean, not to say that you don't need it. Certainly publicists are very useful in certain circumstances, but I do think right. that like before you jump, go ahead and kind of t- like get too yep. far ahead of yourself and ha- outsource things, you should try to handle it yourself and trust your instincts and gut. I think that's a really good point. Yeah. And that's been our, our lowest, like every time we have a lot of um, situations where we don't know what to do going forward, we always think back to that moment and it helps us to have the confidence. And by the way, we definitely make our fair share of mistakes when we do try. And even, you know, it doesn't work out sometimes, but never, I feel like, should you rely on somebody 
to make the first decision for you. I feel like trying always for us initially and then seeing what's needed and supplementing from there and getting help from there and bringing on team members and people who you can collaborate with once you know what you need. But the doubt was what really almost- I really like that advice. Never should you rely on someone else to make the first decision. I think that's a really good piece of advice. What would you say has been your career highlight? Like, is there somebody you've who's worn your jewelry that you were so excited about, or what? Or is there something totally different that? When I see people wearing the jewelry that I don't know, in the wild, just mm-hmm. out, that's when I get the most excited because I feel like customers. This is so funny because so I had my boyfriend on the show a few weeks ago, not to keep talking about my boyfriend, but I had him on the show <laughs> and he makes these super fancy women's wear the like gowns and dresses. And I asked him a similar question. And he said that by far the most excited he gets is when he sees just normal people wearing a stuff. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. You would think it would be some, you know, like some award show moment or something. And because that's when you feel like the people like you are really connecting with your... Yeah, I think that's the most, you know, when they, when a customer writes a note to our customer service team is like, I just want to let you know that, you know, these pieces have made me really happy in a really dark time. Like those types of things are the most, you know, rewarding. I I love that. Do you look to anybody for inspiration or is there somebody who's been a really positive influence in business wise for you? Yes. I've been lucky enough to work with a lot of really smart and fantastic women throughout my career. Because when I was first working for people, I was working as a technical designer for creative directors. So for example, I worked on lines that would be celebrity driven, but you know, the, the celebrity would be the creative director. Obviously they aren't a technical jewelry designer, you know, so I would get to work with these people and I got to work with Nicole Richie, I got to work with Rachel Zoe and Andrea Lieberman. I love Rachel so much. All of those women were very influential on the way that I saw, you know, guiding a business and guiding a collection. I think that being able to work with these graceful and intelligent people was really, I mean, that that type of experience I think is so valuable. And I feel like seeing people at successful, working with people at successful points of their careers. When I was just learning, I got to sponge up all of this really special. I mean, I used to remember sitting when I was probably 22, I was sitting and working with, with Andrew Lieberman and she would be on the phone with somebody, a tailor or something, you know, who she was doing a dress for a celebrity. And I remember just listening to the way that she was talking and the way that she was planning things and really understanding, because I didn't go to school for anything other than art and then ultimately- Right, you went, to, you went to Parsons, right? I went to Parsons and then I left Parsons and I went to San Francisco to learn how to become a bench jeweler. Mm. And so I really narrowed in on my fine art education. And so I wasn't around people who were- operating their own businesses. So for Mm. me, my favorite part about working for these people was that the little pieces that I could pick up from seeing how they operated successfully. You know, Mm -hmm. I learned just little, little tidbits of things that I apply constantly. 
Yeah, that's so interesting. My friend, Catherine Power, is my friend since I was in high school. And she actually plays a large role in spiritually guiding when I feel like I don't necessarily know what to do from a modern business perspective. So many people, I feel like it's impossible to not be influenced by everyone. I love to be influenced by people. And I love, <laughs> I feel like the best thing is to, but it's not creatively, it's more from a business perspective, you know, like right. I think the most valuable things are learning from people's experiences yeah. and what they should do or what, what they like felt like they did do that was right. And what they felt like they did that wasn't right. Mm-hmm. And I love hearing all of those stories and I love hearing how things got started. And I love understanding how people put together the pieces to make their puzzle. And for yeah. me, that's inspiring. Yeah, I Rachel um, Zoe was the first guest actually that I ever had on this show. Yeah. And I would say I kind of responded similarly to her as what you were just describing, which is like I've observed how kind she is, how supportive she is of other women. And I mean, yeah. I, I attend a lot of her events and one of my favorite things that she does at those events is she'll start and going around the room and just talking about each person who's at the table and talking about their successes and why she loves them. And it's just the most, it's almost like a big women's support group. Yeah. And I think that's so cool. And it's definitely inspired me to continue doing that with other people and like just anything you can to help each other out. It's such a good attitude because she went through, yeah. you know, not having that, it, everything wasn't handed to her. You know, she had a lot of challenging experiences in, in becoming who she is today. And so I think it's, it's good to like speak with somebody who's been through it, like you said, yeah. and kind of is able to look that. back and reflect. And yeah, I want to switch gears a little bit to some of the recurring questions that I like to ask guests on the show. At the beginning of each episode, I kind of go through what some of my bright spots for the week were. Mm -hmm. Do you have any that come to mind for this week? So a bright spot for this week was that we, our team has made it through the holiday season, which is a really high intensity, high energy moment. And we did a really great job. And so all the members of our team worked really well together. And that was a really bright moment. How many people do you have working for you now? 15. Oh, wow. That's a big, that's yeah. a big team. And everybody did great and everybody was healthy and it's awesome. It was our most successful season yet from, you know, a customer service perspective, from a sales perspective. So I think that was a really big, bright spot was to be able to appreciate coming through a intensive experience with a happy, positive, and successful team. Awesome. A personal bright spot is that I'm (laughs) working on, I think one of the things that's difficult for being a founder and a mom and an owner of a business and a wife and whatever all of the other things are that I am is finding time for myself and finding time to care for myself in Anyway, at all. Like, and so I think a bright spot for me was that this week I started off on some good habits of self care and really recognizing that I deserve to get a little break here and there to be able to recharge and be the best person, wife. Well, yeah, I always think that you can be a, it, exactly like taking time for yourself allows you to be better in every other aspect of your life. Are these changes that you implemented for the new year? They happen to coincide with the new year, but they aren't related at all. What are they? Like, what are you doing for self-care? So small things. So I am 
taking an herbal tea mix that has, I, I suffer from anxiety. Well, I don't suffer from it, but I feel like I have a lot of anxiety and stress and panic attacks. Mm-hmm. And I always struggle with staying calm and in perspective when things get stressful. And I think this, you know, I'm, I'm, so I'm having some teas, I'm working out, I'm taking care of some injuries that I have. I'm, I will say it to, to, for me, cause I also struggle with anxiety. I actually last night had the worst sleep I've had. I think all year for some reason I was so overwhelmed with like every little thought. Yeah. And I do notice that when I exercise, if I can get in a couple miles a day of either walking, running, whatever, some kind of good workout in, it makes a huge difference with anxiety. Totally. And I am also focusing on positivity and gratefulness and mindfulness and everything in between. And I think a bright spot is being able to have the time to focus on these things and being able to have the time to devote to bettering myself as well. Yeah. I want, that was actually something I wanted to ask you because I'm so curious what it's like to be running your own business and juggling. You've got three kids and you're married. I mean, do you find, obviously that's going to be challenging for anybody, but did you decide it was the right time to have kids? Did like, how has that been for you? So we had kids before we started the business which felt like the right time at the time. And then when we started the business, we had our last kid and we, we were starting the business at that time. And then all of a sudden we looked up at each other and we were like, what did we do? <laughs> <laughs> so much a lot. <laughs> We've got a business, we have babies. You know, now that we've made it through the first three years of our youngest child's life and mm-hmm. the business, we are into our groove now. But definitely that was very challenging. I always talk to my girlfriends about what's the best path. You know, do you get your professional life in gear first, then have babies afterwards? Mm-hmm. Do you have babies early and then work on your career later? Do you try to do it all at once? And I think there's no recipe. And I think it always feels difficult, probably no matter what you're doing, because it is difficult. Yeah. I guess that's actually a really good point because I think about this all the time. I think, I mean, at this point in my life, I don't have a choice. I'm going to end up having kids later, Yeah, but I do think that because, you know, I, my friends who've had kids younger, I think that's so nice because then whenever your kids are kind of grown, you still are young enough to go and, and have kind of a second, a second life, you know, on your own and, and have this kind of period of time or my parents, for example, are pretty young and they, they come and visit me all the time and we travel together and we can still do all these things. But I, to your point. I guess there are benefits to both. So that's just oh, 100%. It, that's a grass is always greener type scenario. Yeah. It's going to be hard <laughs> any way you spin it and it's going to be beautiful any way you spin it. So you just take it as it works for you, I feel. Yeah. Do you have a um, current show or movie or book that you're reading that you would recommend for everybody? I show you're binging. That's kind of my favorite one. <laughs> so we watched, oh, I can't, I'm not remember the name of it now. Is it Queen Anne? No. What is, it was only one season. Oh, now I need to know because I love any, yeah, any kind of period show. I just like, absolutely. I'm actually watching Outlander right now, which I know has been around forever, but I'm watching that. But one of my favorite shows of all time was the Tudors. Did you watch, we just watched Bridgerton. That's not it. it (laughs) Everyone's watching Bridgerton and I want to watch it, but 
One of my best friends, actually Sarni, who who produces this show, she said, you're going to hate it at first and then you're going to love it. So I don't know what that means, but. I liked it a lot. I think that like uh, Shonda Rhimes fan. Like, oh, I just Shonda like... Rhimes made Bridgerton? Yeah. Ah, okay. So, I mean. I like her too. Yeah. Scandal. I was deep into scandal. <laughs> Very deep. <laughs> so, did you watch The Undoing? No. Oh, it was Nicole Kidman, Hugh Grant. That's one that's like really, really. It's uh, that was kind. Of, it's only six. I think it's a limited series. It's six episodes, but it's really intense. That would, that just had a moment, like maybe two months ago. Everybody. Oh wait. Well, that's one for you if you want to check it out. That's a that's a good one too. The Undoing. Okay. Mm-hmm. I will need to tell you what show this is, just because you need to know. Teddy, what's the show yeah, go ahead. that we watched that's not The Queen, not Bridgerton, that we really oh, liked? Yeah. Catherine. Oh, great. Catherine. The Great. The great oh. oh, oh, okay. Yes, I've wanted to see that. The Great. Okay. So good. Okay, so everyone needs to watch The Great, and I would also recommend The Duchess on Netflix. Okay. They're both one, seri- one season, it sounds like, because The Duchess is one season as well, and you will oh. die. It is so funny. It's great. Watch it tonight. Yeah. <laughs> I love a good binge. I'm always, I mean, we've gone so dark with some of the things that we've chosen. I mean, I'll give anything a try. Well, at this point, it's like we're kind of desperate. We got to, you got to watch everything. Before we go, because I don't want to keep you forever, but I like to ask everyone this also. Is there somebody who in your life is either going through something challenging right now or has really been there for you lately who you would want to send good energy or good thoughts to? Probably my husband, who I've, I've had a rough, end of this year from a stress perspective, we're doing some new things with the business. And we had, you know, I've taken on probably more work than I should have healthfully chosen to do. Mm-hmm. So we can send all the good vibes to Teddy. Okay. That's awesome. With me. <laughs> Where can our listeners find you? I know your the jewelry line on Instagram is the last line. Is it the last line LA? Yep. It's the last line LA on Instagram. It's okay. com on the web. And if you're in New York at 395 Bleecker Street. Yeah. Congratulations on that, by the way. That's really exciting. Thank you. I can't wait till we can get back to New York because I'm going to go there for sure. I can't wait to check it out. Same, sadly. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for being here. I, yeah, I know. It'll be really good when we can actually get back. I, you haven't been to your own store, right? That's what I'm saying. That's I'm like so I, crazy. I, I haven't been even. You're like, let me know how it is. 100%. You'll probably get there before I do. So I'll report back. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, well, thank you so much for being here. I love talking with you. And thank hopefully you for having we'll be out of all this soon and we can reconnect at an event or something. Yeah. would be really fun. I would love that. Okay. Take care. Thank you. Take care. Bye. We do. The Bright Side is a production of Embassy Row. Our executive producer is Sarni Rogers. This episode was produced by Alexa Machia and Anna Marie Johnson. The show is edited by Maureen Begas. Our theme music is by Maddie Noyes. You can follow me on Instagram at, at Caitlin, K-A-I-T-L-Y-N-N, or email the show at thebrightsidewithkc at gmail.com. Have a happy day. Mm, I never